Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing outside of Newbury House on the Hallfield Estate in Bayswater, W2. Two streets east of the flaming deathbed of Maria de Santos. Three streets east of the test run for the Charlotte Street robbery. And a few streets north of the Porter Kilt for just two pounds. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Like King's North House, where Alice Parker lived, the Hallfield Estate was constructed in the early 1950s as part of the post-war housing boom. Consisting of several ten-storey blocks of flats, Having recently received a Grade 2 listing owing to its modernist architecture, you can soon expect its council tenants to be turfed out for what is likely to be dubbed safety concerns, only for each flat to be flogged off to a self-entitled arsehole looking for a city bolt hole while their second home in Oxford is being renovated. On Friday the 7th of September 1973, just seven weeks after the attack on Alice Parker, in flat six of Newbury House, 74-year-old Lillian Lindemann, also known as Lily, was awaiting the arrival of her loved ones. Being a stiflingly hot day, owing to a brief heat wave, the front door of her first floor flat was left open. Passing by, being short on money and supposedly high on a bunch of mescaline, 28-year-old David Harrison was looking for an easy target. But unlike Alice, who survived her attack, Lily would meet her death. My name is Michael, I'm your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 212, The Old Lady Killer, Part 2. It didn't take long for the £72 that David had stolen from Alice to be squandered. After a few nights in a cheapy B&B, where he slept on soft sheets, bathed in hot water, and dined on greasy fry-ups, with his stash of Fensadil, Methadrine, and LSD, having been gobbled up by his voracious need to get high, although his depression medication was free, the drugs he so badly needed and wanted were the result of theft. On the night of Friday the 30th of August 1973, David broke into a commercial premises at 56 Beethoven Street, W10. As a plastics and moulding firm ran by Ronald Graham, 
A well-built engineer with arms like thighs and fists like sledgehammers. He entered when the lockup was shut and stole three checkbooks. Using the checkbooks to buy goods, which he would then sell to buy drugs. Given his rancid smell and his shambolic look, the ruse didn't always work, which is why his next purchase was paid for by cash. Sometime in August 1973, roughly one month before the murder, David entered Cook's at 159 Parade Street in Paddington, later telling the court that he brought it for his protection, having supposedly been beaten up by Irish thugs, and with the newspapers still reeling from a homeless man's murder in Bletchley, allegedly inspired by the 1971 film A Clockwork Orange. For 45p, David purchased a six-inch knife. As with Alice Parker, little is known about the life of Lily Lindemann. Born on the 11th of April, 1899, in the parish of St. George in the Field in East London, Lily was one of three daughters and five brothers to German immigrant William Lindemann and his Whitechapel-born wife, Caroline. Raised as a family of ten, in a small terrace house at 29 Burslem Street in Stepney. Their father worked hard as a cab driver, as their mother ensured that this growing brood were fed and loved. Being typical of many working-class families, life was a struggle, but they all earned their way. As by 1911, Harry was a warehouseman, Albert a barman, John a music hall artist, Minnie, known as Annie, being a baby's bib maker, and Edward as an office boy, with Ernest, Alexandra and Lily still at school. By 1939, 40-year-old Lily was living with her recently widowed sister, Alexandra, who was known as Emmy as well as Emmy's two-year-old daughter, Barbara, and Lily's sister, Annie, at 87 Milner Road in Brighton. As an all-female household, they all worked hard to keep the coffers coming in. They were loyal, loving, and the way these sisters supported one another was typical of the family. In the late 1950s, with the construction of the Hallfield estate. Lily and Annie moved into a two-bedroomed first-floor flat at number six, Newbury House. With a fully fitted kitchen, a bathroom, and neighbors on all sides. It was the perfect place for two elderly spinster sisters, living in a big bustling metropolis like London. Like two little dots, Lily and Annie were often seen tottering the streets of Bayswater, shopping in hand, stopping for tea and cake in the local cafes, and sitting side by side like they were joined at the hip. Together, they were each other's company and protection, having lived together for 73 years. But with Annie having died, aged 80, just the Christmas prior, Lily was left alone in a large empty flat. Nineteen seventy-three was a difficult year for Lily, as with no one to talk to, every moment of her new life alone felt empty, dull as a hollow void pervaded her life, and all about her flat were memories of her sister. As kindly neighbours, they all rallied round. And as this family did, her niece Pamela and her husband Bob 
did what they knew was best for her. To give her support, but to ensure she kept her independence. By the summer of 1973, Lily was doing well. And although grief still tugged at her heart, with her loving family visiting her every month without fail, it made the loneliness more bearable. By the September, with the council deciding to convert the flats to gas heating, she needed to move out for a few days. Being an old-fashioned girl, Lily didn't have a home phone. So with Pamela sending her a written letter, accompanied with a stamped addressed envelope so Lily could reply, Lily was excited to spend a few days in Chalfonts and Giles with Pamela and Bob. And in their car, they would come and pick her up. The day they chose to arrive was Friday the 7th of September, 1973. It began as a day of excitement and promise. But it ended with death. Since the attack on Alice Parker seven weeks earlier, the police had struggled to find the culprit. Being decades before a computerised database, although David had a criminal record for burglary, theft and drugs offences, with no history of assaulting old ladies, he hadn't appeared on the police's radar. And although Alice had provided a solid description of her assailant, as a homeless man, although David was still wearing the same clothes, he walked about like he didn't exist. Without an ounce of remorse for the attack, and every penny of Alice's life savings having been squandered on his hopeless addiction, as the last dregs of the drugs wheedled out of his system, David began to shake. Being broke and a coward, unable to do what he often did without drugs, he would later claim in court, that morning, I took a bunch of mescaline. Being off his face, his fear of committing such a heinous crime, like robbing an old vulnerable lady, would vanish. But with the chance of a good trip or a bad trip, being as random as a roulette ball landing on red or black, he always risked incurring the horrors. As a good trip, he would breeze through this mindless assault of an old frail lady like it was a lovely walk in the park. But as a bad trip, the horrors would heighten not only his senses, but also his fears. With three stolen checkbooks in his bag, but few shops willing to cash them, having fled from the police swamped area around Alice Parker's flat, he moved one and a half miles east to Bayswater. Friday the 7th of September 1973 was a classic British summer. In the grip of a mini heatwave, it had been hot for the last few days. And as always, for the first day, we had loved it. By the second, we were grumbling. And by the third day, with the infrastructure having buckled under the intensity of the 30-degree heat, we couldn't wait for the rains to return. Set in the sweltering heat, amidst the vast glass and steel structures of the Hallfield estate, even the concrete was hot to the touch. 
at 4.30pm. Being excited for a few days away with her loved ones, Lily opened her door to the blue skies of Bayswater and headed right to flat 5. In the months since Annie's death, her neighbour Edith had been the closest thing to her sister that Lily had. So wearing a short floral dress and being too frail to reach and usurped by slightly arthritic hands, she asked Lily to zip her up at the back as she couldn't do it herself. And although she wouldn't know it, that was the last time that anyone but her murderer would see her alive. David didn't know her. He had never been to her flat. And just like Alice, it was a coincidence that she was another lone and vulnerable old lady who had fatefully left her door open. David would confess, I walked up Bayswater and I see this door open in the flats. It was about five o'clock, I think. With no gates or fences, this communal space was designed not to feel oppressive. So access to each block was as easy as entering a shop. On the right-hand side of Newbury House, he rose the concrete stairwell to the first floor. And with the first flat being that of Lily's, there was a chair in the doorway and I had to move it, which he did. Being a modern block, the door was strong. It was fitted with a yell lock, a chain, a spy hole and a bell. But with the door left open to allow a cool breeze to drift in, these security features were of no use. The hallway offered little in terms of things for David to steal. Just a few hats, some coats, a cabinet of crockery, an iron and an old wind-up clock. Being old-fashioned, Lily didn't have a telephone, and she certainly didn't have a television. And except for a cheap watch, plastic bracelet, and two gold rings which had once belonged to her sister, she didn't own much. And yet the most valuable thing that David would take would be her life. Hearing a noise in the hallway, although barely five foot five and as frail as a cream cracker, being feisty and independent, Lily came out of the bedroom screaming, Who are you? What do you want? High on mescaline, David would claim, The lady came out of the bedroom. She came at me, screaming. Her face was distorted and scary. Although whether this was the truth, his fear, or a mescaline trip, we shall never know. But with the roulette ball inside his head, bouncing from red to black, he flipped. I lashed out to stop her coming at me. Having purchased a six-inch cook's knife for 45p, supposedly for his own protection, I just raised the knife and plunged it forward. As the unused and supremely sharp blade slid two inches deep into the wrinkled pale recess of her throat and severed her windpipe. The look of shock that being stabbed would be etched on Lily's face forever as her mouth fell agape and her eyes popped wide open. And as her small frail body began to slip, David later said, I held her before she fell. 
lying in a crumpled heap in her own hallway. With the door shut, but her struggling to scream, let alone breathe. Although David would state, I went into the bedroom and I found a bedsheet and put it under her head. He would claim, I didn't know she was dying, as he plundered her home for cash and trinkets. I just ransacked the place. I took a five-pound note, a one-pound note and two rings. That's all. And perfectly summed up by his rationale. That's all. That's what he took. All the money she had. A reminder of her departed sister. And her life. I didn't stay long in the flat. I walked out through the door, he would state, closing it behind him so that any passing neighbor couldn't help. As with blood running down her mouth, onto her neck, and soaking the sheet underneath her head, Lily would die, all alone and frightened, knowing that no one would find her. Alongside his needs, his escape was all that he cared about. I brought cigarettes in the supermarket before I was sick in the Odeon toilets. I then went to Hyde Park and I sat there for a while. I walked to Notting Hill Gate and I caught the number 52 bus. I got off before the bridge at Lambert Grove and slung the knife into the canal. From there I walked down to Kensal Road, out through Goldbourne Road, and down to the green where the Westway is. I didn't sleep very long. But how could he sleep, given what he had done? It became clear to Lily's friends that something was wrong early on. At 6pm, passing to buy a paper, Edith in flat 5 saw that Lily's door was shut. This was odd, she would state, as in this weather she usually kept her door open, so I thought that Bob had already arrived. Returning minutes later, she was still expecting Lily to give her the key for the gas man. But it looked like she was out. The sun had set that night at 7.53pm. So by 8.40pm, when Bob and Pamela had parked up, with the bedroom window shut and the kitchen window at the front slightly ajar, with the lights off, the flat was in total darkness. Knocking on the door, they got no reply. Concerned, they knocked on Edith's door, who thought that Lily had already left with them. So borrowing a set of stepladders, Bob climbed in and found her body. Called at 8.51pm, the ambulance arrived at 9pm precisely to the report of an old lady collapsed. But when Ronald Hills, the ambulance man, knelt down and touched her wrist, seeing that her body was starting to cool, the flat was ransacked and the woman had a wound to her throat. He alerted CID, who came promptly. To say that David had no remorse for the killing, or even the attack on Lily, would be an understatement. The next day, I woke up early. It was still darkish, 
I went to Portobello Road and I had dinner in one of the cafes there. I then went to ABC Pictures on Edgeway Road. I think I saw Shaft in Africa. As Wally entertained himself, Bob was identifying Liddy's dead body on a slab at Westminster Mortuary. I went to the National Watch Company at 55 Parade Street and sold the ring. Thinking it was a diamond ring, he tried to sell it for £23, but finding out that it was only imitation, he sold it for eight. That money wouldn't last him the day, but as a ring which meant so much to Lily, and as the last reminder of Lily and Annie, it would have been a treasure keepsake for Pamela, of both of her aunts, who were now dead. The next day, a six Newbury house was boarded up. He would claim, I went to All Saints Church and I prayed for the old lady. I started crying and I came out because I didn't want anyone to see me. He said at that point, he didn't know if she was alive or dead. Hence he expressed remorse. But if he did, it was short-lived. As later that day, I went to see a friend to score some more acid. And I sat in the park until about eight o'clock. Of his tits on LSD and drifting into a fantasy which didn't involve a frail old lady being stabbed to death. And with his grief having passed, I went to see the James Bond film. And then I went back to Hyde Park and slept until 10am the next morning. As killing can be tiring. The murder of Lily Lindemann was in almost all of the local and some of the national papers. But David said that he'd never read them. Instead, I dropped two tabs of acid. I then went to the Prey Street Classic to see Cabaret. And having loved it so much, having sold the second ring in Fulham, I saw the Bond film again. His cycle of steal, flee, get high, go broke and repeat was almost complete. As having squandered the £11, roughly £170 today, he had made off both rings. I dropped some more acid, slept, ate. I can't recall the Tuesday, but I know I walked up to Holland Park and tried to break into a house. But with the male owner coming home, like a coward, I made a run for it. The crime scene at Six Newbury House was self-explanatory to Detective Sergeant Lanchet. With no signs of forced entry, no sexual assault, and no evidence of a personal grudge, the culprit was most likely to be an opportunist thief, as all that was stolen was cash and items which were easy to sell. As before, with fingerprints found on the front door, the bedside cabinet, a white metal cigarette box and a small wardrobe, with this case being overseen by the same detective who had investigated the attack on Alice Parker, the fingerprint expert would confirm, I'm in no doubt that these are the fingerprints of David John Harrison. But having gone missing from the last address, how do you find a missing man? Oddly, it was the drugs which would be his downfall. Only this time, it wouldn't be the LSD. On Wednesday the 12th of September, a description of David Harrison was posted in the local papers. The next day, Robert Yearwood, a pharmacist at Fish Chemists at 274 Portobello Road, dispensed David his supply of triptazole 
the medication he was on for his depression. And realising he matched the description, he called the police. With detectives scouring the streets, barely an hour later, D.S. Lansheet saw David walking along St. Mark's Road and collared him in Cambridge Gardens. On his possession, he had his driving licence, three stolen cheques in the name of R.B. Moulds from the business he'd broken into in August. And although he had sold everything, he had stolen from Alice Parker and Lily Lindemann, he was still wearing the same tatty brown jacket, trousers and pullover, which had faint traces of Lily's blood. At Paddington Green Police Station, when he realised he was to be questioned by DCI Feeney, David said, Detective Chief Inspector, you only investigate serious things. The DCI replied, Yes. David said, How serious? The DCI said, You tell me. And with David replying, Murder? David Harrison gave a full statement and he was formally charged with the murder of Lillian Lindemann and the attempted murder of Alice Parker. That day, detectives drove him to the shop where he brought the knife, the pawnbrokers where he'd sold the rings. And although never found the stretch of the canal where we had dumped the knife. Tried at the Old Bailey from the 11th to the 13th of February 1974. In his defence, he would plead guilty to the lesser charges of wounding, GBH with intent and aggravated burglary but for the more serious charges of the murder of Lily Lindemann and the attempted murder of Alice Parker, he would plead not guilty by claiming he was in the grip of an LSD trip and that he was feeling the fear of the horror. It was a ploy which may have worked, only having given the police a detailed account of his actions Although supposedly high on drugs, he recalled the events up to and during the murder with clarity. Seeking to use this drug abuser as an example, particularly to the young people with whom he associated, that if he used violence and caused death to escape the consequences of a burglary, that the penalty would be much greater than if he had surrendered for burglary. And therefore being found guilty of GBH, aggravated burglary and murder, Mr Justice Thesiger sentenced him to four life sentences. But with the law making all four sentences run concurrently, he was eligible for parole in 1993. Where he is now and what he's currently doing is unknown. Whether the drugs made him do it or it was a ploy is unclear. And although some people may suggest that there's no proof that a legal drug is merely a slippery slope down to the harder drugs, consider this. His decline had begun with his need to take cough syrup and vodka to stay awake. And it ended with a drug-fueled haze of an old lady killer. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. 
Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And there we go. Well done, Michael. Or as I, I often say to myself when I've done good, well done, Buchanan Dunn. I do talk to myself in the third person. There we go. I'm just going to take your little hat off, if I may. Oh, tired. I've just, today, just finished editing the last episode, and I thought, let's just get it done. I'm out tomorrow. I'm out visiting my brother. My brother's coming down, and we're going to the nice little Greek restaurant that we go to, and which, oh, they do really, really great greek food it's an old traditional greek restaurant it's been there for years and it does that nice lamb where you get the lamb and you tip the bone and and the the meat slides off the bone oh my god it's so good and they do the the pita bread's hot out of the oven oh my god it's good so i'm looking forward to that so yes so i, I in order to because i'm going to film these videos uh for patreon tomorrow as well if you're a patron subscriber you get all the little nice videos i do nice versions of the video with lots of different angles and it's very interesting i'm going to film those on the estates tomorrow uh and then i'm going to edit and i'm going to see my brother so that's good oh and i just wanted to get this done oh welcome to extra mile the unscripted unedited bit uh sorry i forgot to say that this is extra mile if you're new to the series this is the what bit little bit of a waffle a uh, little bit of uh, some quiz questions uh, some extra stuff that didn't go into the episode um, and if you like this I'm sorry, I'm having my Diet Coke while we're doing this, which has gone flat. It's horrible. Um, if you like this as well, I do a, 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 a complimentary series that goes with this on Patreon called Walk With Me, where after I finished editing, I take I go and walk, take a walk and I tell you all the secrets that are in the episode that you won't hear in extra while. So there you go. But yeah, I'm powering through this because I'm going on holiday on, on Friday. It starts Friday. And I'm trying to get everything done. And today is today is Wednesday, Tuesday, the 2nd of May. God, I'm exhausted, but it was good to do. So anyway, looking forward to doing that. Looking forward to seeing my brother as well. He's like me, and he's shorter and fatter. There we go. Is that even possible? Uh, so, yes. Um, this was almost impossible to do, so thank you. I can't remember who sent it to me, but just before I started uh, to record this, uh, someone posted uh, uh, LinkedIn, uh, it was uh, Lou, uh, LinkedIn, a video of uh, Eva. <gasps> Oh, oh, lovely Eve. Oh, oh Eva. A uh, video of Eva. How am I meant to concentrate? How am I meant to get any work done when you put thoughts of lovely, lovely Eva inside my head? Oh, oh dear. Anyway, um... Uh, I ask, uh, this is the evening I'm recording now it's nice and quiet except um, it's a little bit of heat out today it's not hot but it's about getting to about late teens degrees so there's a little bit of temperature in the air and what tends to happen is the canal heats up a bit and as it does all of the 
uh all of the it, it makes all the methane in the water because the old plant matter starts to heat up as it's died and yeah right, there's a lot of bubbles going around all the shit rise to the surface so this is a horrible time of year you look at the canal and go oh it's horrible who's thrown all that crap in the water and it hasn't it's old crap from last year which has risen to the top of the surface um but the problem is we start recording and then if you move slightly uh all the bubbles which are trapped underneath the boat go it echoes everywhere so before i started recording i had to rock the boat to get rid of all the all the um all the bubbles so there we go and uh, very shortly i'm going to treat myself to my usual vegetarian kebabs which are delicious i've been eating them for almost a year now and i haven't got bored of them yet they're really good uh and i've just bought myself a big bag of monster munch and i might have a desperado beer to celebrate working so hard um so that was just there you go that's complimentary waffle there you go lovely Ooh, what michael that was entirely useless i've just taken up a part of your brain that probably could be used for something really important but instead you've had to move something aside to make way for the fact that i've just bought monster munch and i've been obsessing about eva again oh she's in she's in new um um three musketeers film oh. i might have to buy all the seats in the cinema just so I can be by myself. Not for not for that reason. Not for that reason. Just so I can appreciate even not have people distracting me going by going, Oh, isn't Eva beautiful? Even isn't Eva wonderful? Yes, we know all that. Just let me just let me enjoy the fact that Eva's on screen. <sighs> Eva. Eva, Eva. Um so uh thank you to new patron subscribers. Thank you so much. Um thank you to Pip Dickens, Kate Mowbray and d shark so there you go thank you pip dickens kate mowbray and d shark um so thank you so much i hope you're enjoying uh patreon uh don't forget at the moment we we, we have a thing where you can try out patreon for a week you can you can log in uh you, you hit trial um i think it makes you add, add in some details like your credit card details but it doesn't bill you lit yet and if you go into oh, you get seven days free you can have a look at everything and if you like it stay if you don't that's not a problem at all but we do a competition every month for lots of goodies and i put loads of stuff on there that is days um that i don't share anywhere else so uh, if you want to be part of that please do and it's a nice community as well and you can message me anytime i reply to everything it's i i, I struggle with social media because there's too many outlets but patreon i'm always on it and you, you can message me about anything on that and it comes direct to me there's no there's no waiting around uh which is nice it's a nice little community so um I, 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 what happened there I, I mentioned this last week if you're looking for a new true crime podcast may i recommend picture the scene uh written by and starring andy and rachel it's a, a solid piece of true crime fun i wrote those words that's not me reading it i i, I am reading it I, I wrote that um so last week i suggested you try out series two episode 26 titled london in 2018 a year in homicide uh, which they dive into a year in homicide in london obviously um uh, this week uh maybe try out series two episode 17 um in which they take a look at the case of uh rika kumari baker who wanted to spite her ex so she killed her kids cripes uh and uh this is one of the early ones uh, uh give you go andy did actually say the uh, same as me same as me kind of when we when everyone starts out the sound is never good at the start and and, and as you go through you get better and better and, it's, and it's, i've got to the point now where because like 200 episodes in there's no way i'm going to redo the the first 200 i would say that i'd love to redo the sound on but i can't because uh, it'll take up too much time which i don't have andy's the same he was like um sounds not as good but really good episode it's a fascinating case from ireland where a man was kidnapped and killed a woman in broad daylight for no apparent reason so there you go so if you want something interesting check out picture the scene where did my voice go high then i don't know um can do some uh, quiz questions and then we'll dive into some extra stuff because this is part two of two i can i can cover everything now so quiz questions get yourself ready folks uh how much had question number one how much had david stolen from alice parker to money wise how much had stolen from how much had david stolen from alice parker my brain is fried i've forgotten how to say words uh, question number two name the three main drugs that david was on the illicit drugs not his uh his prescription drugs 
Uh, question number three. Uh, on what street did David break into a commercial premises in que- uh, Queen's Park? That was the, the moulding firm owned by Ronald, where he stole the three checkbooks. So what was the name of the street? Question number four. What was the name of the shop where he purchased the knife? These are all difficult ones, aren't they? Question number five, if you've got them, well done. Question number five, obviously PCAG, I would expect you to get them all, because as an officer, you should have a razor-sharp memory, unless you've been on the Guinness. You almost certainly have been on the Guinness. Uh, Question number five. Um, Now, I think I've got this one wrong. Uh, Oh, no, I've got it... uh, No, okay. Let me me just write this, because I... It was when I was recording this, and then I realised I had got it wrong... The question. So let me write it. There we go. Uh, right. Question number five. How many si- how many siblings did Lily have? Question number six. Uh, what age was Lily's sister when she died? Question number seven. Where did Pamela and Bob live? Bob. Question number eight. What drug did David say he took on the morning of the murder? Question number nine, what was the name of Lily's immediate neighbour? And question number ten, how much money did David steal from Lily's flat? So, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Uh, so, as we say, it was, uh, the country was in a bit of a grip of a heatwave at the moment. People from overseas are obviously going to have a giggle at this. The temperature is about 27 to 30 degrees, which if you're in the wrong temperature, which is Fahrenheit, it's, I think that's not, that's not 90. It's less than 90. But over here, we don't, we don't like heat. We like, we like it raining all the time. And we like grumbling about it raining all the time. And as mentioned in the episode, when it gets a little bit hot, we like it for a day. We all go crazy. We all buy lots of ice cream. We do stupid things. Uh, and then we grumble about it for a couple of days. Uh, so, um, we have David's statement on this. Obviously, we don't have uh, Lily. St- Unlike Alice, we don't have a statement from Lily because Lily was obviously murdered. Uh, obviously. I mean, that goes without saying, doesn't it? Uh, he didn't need to break in as as before because it was a hot day. She'd, she'd left a door open and she propped the door open with a chair. So he actually went in through the front door, uh, moved the chair, that closed the door behind it. Because this is a modern flat, these are one of these ones where the, the door automatically closes behind you. It's got kind of a weight to it. Um, quite a strong door, uh, not one of those ones which has the glass panels in it so that people can see in. Um, also, uh, when you look at the the uh, the photos itself, it's kind of it, it it's on a bit of an L shape. So there's a door that goes in, and then the 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 main hall is to the left. So even if people were walking past, they may not have the even though Lily was murdered in a hallway, they wouldn't have seen her even if the door was open because she was to the side. Uh, she came out the room saying, "Who are you? What do you want?" Um, at that point, David, see, in his report afterwards, he says her face was distorted and scary. I just lashed out with a knife to stop her coming at me. But she's a 74-year-old lady. She's only she's only little. She's barely five foot tall. And when you look at her, she's probably not even seven stone. So he could easily have taken her on. But I, that's the thing is, 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 is he using... Uh, the idea that he was on drugs and that everything was distorted and her face was all scary and he got terrified because he was having acid flashbacks or is he just using it as an excuse to get through um he there wasn't really that much in her house not to say she was impoverished but you know like it it was like my my grand's house you know when we we had to clear out grand's house when she was uh when she passed away wasn't a lot there and a lot that was there was kind of cheap crap that she'd picked up and kind of all the all the stuff that we were like where's all the stuff we remember as kids like all the little photos and paintings that she'd done and the little like little figurines that almost certainly she'd bought in the 1970s in in the in the ball ring in birmingham which were worth crap now you couldn't have sold them for 50p but we remembered them as kids and we were like where were all these stuff and you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot left in Gran's house at the end so uh so I, I think it's the same as lily's as well is that she got rid of a lot of stuff and she just kept what she what she needed um 
uh, I, uh, I didn't put this in the episode. Maisie Alexander, who is a, a friend of Lily's, don't worry, this is that's not the answer to the question. Uh, she lives at Reading House, which is just behind, uh, which a friend of mine lives at as well. Uh, she said at about 5.50pm, she was sitting on a bench opposite Newbury House. She was tired after shop- shopping, and she said she saw the, the, uh, the door to the flat was open. Um, which is interesting because th- that that would have been after the murder would have happened. Uh, the timing of the murder is kind of weird because uh, we've only really got David's account for it, and he said it was roughly five o'clock, but he was off his face. Uh, Edith said that she passed the flat. See, there you go. I fucked up one of the questions. There you go. You can have that one for free. Uh, Edith passed the. If it, see if you've forgotten it. When I asked the questions earlier on, then you've got to ask. Oh, you've got to say to yourself, "Why? How have I forgotten it already? How did I forget the name Margaret? 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 Margaret's not Margaret. There you go. What did I say? What did I say? Uh, she said. Her neighbour said. Uh, I noticed the door was shut. This was very unusual. As the weather, uh, when the weather's like this, she normally leaves her front door open. So I naturally thought the bob had arrived. Edith uh, went off to get a paper and she returned a few minutes later and the door was still shut. Don't forget, she was expecting Lil, as she called her, to give her a set of keys as the gas men were turning up uh, to uh, install gas there. Um, Let's... Quite horrible, isn't it, that um, she'd agreed to go away with uh, Pamela and Bob, uh, her niece and niece's husband, go and stay at theirs for a couple of days, and they'd chosen that day... I know that Pamela and Bob had, uh, they were, I think they'd, ta- they'd they'd said that they'd taken some time off uh, so that they could spend some time with her, which they were really looking forward to and they were coming down to see her and they were coming down, I think they were coming down after work, hence the timing was later in the day. Um, but they'd chosen that day and the irony is if they would have chosen the day earlier, she would have lived. It's, 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 life is like that, isn't it? It's kind of horrible and weird and must have been a horrible sight uh, to try and get in. Um, they were struggling to get in at first. They they found that the window was open. They needed to borrow a stepladder to get in. They opened up the window. Bob struggled to get in at first because there was net curtains in the way and it kind of made things difficult. And he was calling in to uh, Lily. Lily wasn't replying. There was the, the, no lights on in the flat. Uh, he said, I went into the hallway, switched on a light, and I saw, he refers to her as my aunt, but it's not his aunt, it's his aunt-in-law. I saw my aunt on the floor, her eyes were open and her hands were on her stomach. I opened the front door to let my wife in. After I let my wife in, I noticed the living room had been ransacked. Uh, we both left the flat and called the police. Uh, um, da 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 uh i d- just don't want to ruin the quiz questions that we got um first officer on the scene uh sergeant main and uh, sergeant ogilvy turned up with a uh, pc danson and pc uh, pc stevenson were all they were the first on the scene first detective was uh, dc john dowry of harrow road police station uh which we've uh, been to many times before um we uh, david said see this is the thing even though he said he was on drugs he seemed to remember where he was and what he was doing. So he, he said, I bought drugs from the supermarket before I went to the Odeon. I went to the toilets at, at the Odeon and I was sick. I didn't stay there long. I then went to Hyde Park and I sat there for quite a while. I walked down to Notting Hill Gate and caught the, and caught the number 52 bus. So he, he says he remembers where he threw uh, the knife. It was uh, I got off the bus at the stop before the bridge at Ladbroke Grove. So he knows which was the bus. He knows which stop he got off. Uh, I walked over to the pub side, uh, which is the near side, and slung the knife into the canal, although they did search it and they couldn't find it. Even with the next day as well, he he knows exactly where he is. He knows what he's been doing. Um, he gives a very de- good description. Um, Pamela and Bob were very useful because they knew their auntie really well and they visited her a lot. They they were able to go into the house and see exactly what was missing. Her aunt, uh, uh, Lillian, didn't own much, so they were able to work it out. Um, they said she had a diamond solitaire ring and a wedding ring. These belonged to Annie when Annie was married. When Annie died, they were given to Lily as a reminder. But because they were so precious, um, Lily didn't wear them at all. She put them in a handbag and I believe she kept it in uh, her wardrobe. But of course, David went in and um, 
went through everything and started stealing everything. Uh, police could really tell in the investigation that this was an opportunist theft. Uh, finger marks and palm marks everywhere. He didn't wear gloves. He didn't try to hide it. Um, so very much someone who's... See, that's the thing. If he was fully compostmentous and not on drugs likelihood is if he was going to commit a robbery and he wasn't an opportunist thief he probably would have worn worn gloves or found a way to disguise his fingerprints being aware of uh, uh, kind of early stages of not really forensics but kind of you know fingerprinting things like that everybody knew about that um but he didn't he left his fingerprints everywhere so it very much seemed like an opportunist thing and something that really wasn't thought out um but because he'd been um tagged as potentially someone for the Alice Parker case and because uh, Detective Sergeant Lancheat had been the investigating officer on that one obviously this was very similar they'd already got a description from Alice they were able to put out a a similar description saying we think it might be the same guy which led to the pharmacist saying I think it's this guy and the police going well that's interesting let's go and let's go and track him down and there you go blood on the clothes perfect it's uh, brilliant little little bit of detective work and it took almost no time for them as well um when they, uh, they found david as well he uh, had a pocket knife in his t- possession uh, but that had, hadn't been used so they did query why he needed a second knife um what have we got what else have we got uh, autopsy was held on the 8th of september at 10 a.m at westminster mortuary uh, conducted by professor keith simpson a name that i always struggle to pronounce uh, Lily had been dead at the time of the autopsy, t- uh, 12 to 18 hours. Uh, she was closed, clothed for indoor, uh, so not ready to go out. She was wearing a print dress, a cami girdle, brassiere corset. They've written panties here. I'm sorry. I know everyone hates that word. Panties. Tights and shoes. There was no disarray to the clothing at all. Uh, so they said there was no form of sexual assault at all. Uh, she was wearing uh, a plastic beaded necklace a wristwatch and a bracelet these had not been taken from her um blood stains around the it was the right hand side of the mouth where she where she'd fallen uh and he had he'd almost certainly put a um um a bedcloth kind of he'd bundled it up into kind of like a ball and put it under her head which is a really fascinating thing to do to have stabbed her in the throat held her as she as she went on the floor then put something under her head it's um see that's that's the interesting thing with the case as well is that it's the, the, there's something sadistic about it but there's something that's kind of like did he mean to do that was he frightened it's, it's kind of very weird uh she had a single stab wound uh to the right of the midline of the front of the neck passing right through the windpipe uh it passed two to three inches deep at a 45 degree angle and they said the edges were incredibly sharp so it was almost certainly a new knife don't forget they never found the knife uh there was no tearing in and around the wound uh and the wound was stained around the neck with blood uh blood had uh almost certainly been inhaled uh and there was uh saliva blood in the saliva as well a um, couple of defensive wounds, some sharp scratches uh, on her hands and the mid-knuckle, the left shoulder and the elbow, but also the right wrist. Um, but that was pretty much it. We we don't really know much about those wounds themselves. Um, we do, It wasn't really described why it happened either, but the, the, that single wound is the, the primary one. Uh, let's just see if there's anything else. We we've already I, I I've put in pretty much everything in there about what he was um, doing that day. Um, very much uncaring. It just seems to be off his face. He seems to like going off and watch watching Bond film twice and go on go off to watch Cabaret. Baffling. Um, Wednesday, the twelfth of September. Uh, obviously, David uh, still suffering with depression and anxiety. Although the doctors in court, both of them, would say there was no ev- evidence of uh, depression or anxiety, because he was prescribed triptazole, uh, ten milligrams three times a day. Uh, he used to get his monthly prescription of a hundred tablets from A Fish Chemist Limited at two seven four Portobello Road. Uh, as mentioned in the episode, Robert Yearwood, who was the chemist, uh, was shown a photograph by the police of a man wanted. He'd already seen the photograph in the paper, hence he'd called them. He recognised the man as David Harrison, and he regularly came here to get his prescription. 
Um, so from that, police knew that he was local, knew he hadn't disappeared. They knew what he looked like. Um, Thursday the 13th at 11am, a DS Landsheet, uh, based out of Notting Hill Police Station, uh, was sitting in a private car. They'd been cruising around uh, on Bassett Road, W10, 25 yards from st mark's road junction they saw i didn't put this in the episode because it throws it off and we don't know who the guy is they saw two men walking north on the west footway uh, as as the men passed uh, 95 st mark's road uh, they split and he followed they followed the man who looked like david uh, harrison they stopped him and said what's your name the man said harrison they said what's your first name he said john incorrect uh the detective sergeant took a parcel from the man and said what's in here david said i don't know a fella gave it to me to look after uh inside the inside the carrier bag there was the three checkbooks uh as mentioned that they took him straight to the police station uh we did the bit about uh dci terence feeney See, he he says that he he doesn't really follow the press and things like that. But when when he knew he was going to be questioned by DCI Feeney, he was clearly he clearly had enough knowledge of policing to know that if you're going to be interviewed by a detective chief inspector, this is clearly something serious. Whereas if you're going to be interviewed by the detective sergeant, it wouldn't be as serious. So clearly he was very aware of that um at that he uh when he was there he he um he confessed to both to the police he confessed to both attacks but he wouldn't could confess to murder or or attempted murder um and i think that's it i think that's it they put oh uh, police drove him around to all the locations so uh they drove him to where he, he bought the knife uh, which is one of the quiz questions well done michael don't give that away um uh, dci feeney and ds candlish uh went to the national watch shop at 55 parade street uh they said the diamond ring had been sold there for eight pounds yeah david had as part of the deal had to show them his driving license and they took down all of his details which is what they have to do when you sell something like a rink they have to check that it's it's you and all that and also he filled in a declaration slip which is uh, an fw2 so that was filled in with david's correct details so they had him there uh they drove down to uh, fulham palace road or pullham phallus road as we like to call it here um and went to w barnett a pawnbroker's and in there was a gold ring which had been sold for three pounds it hadn't been smelted down yet um i think that's it they went to um the canal bridge um at canal bridge underneath where um lena lena cunningham's body would have drifted under before it was found and uh, where they reckon uh she was hit by one of the barges which caused a lot of the injuries to her that's the other episode um he pointed to the east side of the bridge facing trellick cat t- tower and said i threw the knife in there with the belt and the sheath i just wrapped them around and threw them in i heard a splash um friday the 14th at 2 25 p.m a uh, police confirmed that they had searched the canal using underwater divers but no knife had been found in the area where uh david said he'd thrown it um to be honest there's uh, a lot of shit there a lot of dirt and uh, 1970s the canals were in a massive state of disrepair they'd been they'd, they'd been there for about 150 years 1970s they weren't really being used before so people were tipping all manner of shit in the canal which they still do today but on not a, such a bad state but 1970s like some of the canals absolutely abhorrent like uh, uh lots lots of builders just dumping all their shit in there people like just any old shit 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 oh, right michael let's let's do the answers to the questions and then we're done and then i can go and have some food and i can stop talking oh my brain is tired and then i can go and just think about eva for a bit which is basically what i do all day really isn't it so question number one how much had david stolen from alice parker in total, £72. It was a 50, a 20, and uh, £2 and change. Uh, question number two. Um, name the three main drugs that David was on. So the illicit drugs. It was uh, Fencidil, Methadrine, and LSD. Um, you could, 
I like mes- mescaline is there because it's a type of LSD. Uh, also, the, don't forget other drugs he was on: cough syrup, vodka, and cigarettes. What a mix. Uh, question number three: On what street did David break into a commercial premises in in Queens Park? This is a hard one. It was called Beethoven Street. Well done if you got that one. Question number four: What was the name of the shop where he purchased the knife? It was called Cooks. And it was a cook's knife. There you go. You're welcome. Question number five. How many siblings did Lily have? Um, She had seven siblings because she was one of eight. Uh, Question number six. What age was Annie's sister when she died? She was 80 years old. Question number seven. uh, Where did Pamela and Bob live? Chalfont St Giles. Boop. Question number eight. What drug did David say he took on the morning of the murder? Technically, I've just given you that one. Uh, A bunch of mescaline, he said. Uh, Question number nine. What was the name of Lily's neighbour? I gave you this one, so you should have got this one. It was Edith. Uh, Full name, Edith Coleman. Uh, And question number ten. How much money did David steal from Lily's flat? It was six pounds. Six pines. Hi, Nai Brian Kai. So that's me done. Oh. Oh, ripes. Good. That means I can have a little bit of fun tomorrow and I'm going to edit, start editing this Thursday uh, in the coffee shop and then it should be done by Friday. Brilliant. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, part two next week. Uh, then that's done. And then I think it's, uh, I think it's a single, single, single and then a triple it's a good triple as well uh so that's it folks hope you enjoyed that thank you so much for listening to murder mile don't forget if you enjoy murder mile please do leave a review a five-star review if possible that would be absolutely lovely and if you really love it please do tell a friend that would be very much appreciated um have yourself a good week stay safe and be good lots of love bye-bye even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.